0: Arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis, in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane, in ten bulky gunny sacks, are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. Former Mayor Fred Eaton, convinced Mulholland to set out northward across the Mojave Desert in the fall of 1904, toward Owens Valley. They went by buckboard, which was the only way you could go. It took them about two weeks to get there. I think there was a trail of whiskey bottles all the way out. In two weeks, Mulholland and Eaton were on the banks of the Owens River. At certain times of year, in wet years anyway, You can get a little glimpse of what the river must have been like then and how it must have impressed Mulholland. Can you imagine? Well, can you? I'm enthralled just writing about Mulholland and Eaton heading north to scout out the land because of the historical implications of what happens afterwards. But can you imagine? You're back in time. You're Mark McKenna, and the entirety of what was your history is about to change. You are on a time clock of such and a wild attempt over the Mojave Desert to prevent the fiend Nico Morrow from destroying the modern world. In this audio, there are minimal sound effects designed only to contribute to the setting's ambiance. Eaton and Mulholland, two men with a historic agenda and McKenna's order for Nico, shoot to kill. For Commander Mark McKenna, a chance meeting with a woman that he finds compelling working in the mess hall. I'm Robert P. Fitton, and Episode 3 of Time Portal Alpha begins now. Chapter 8. The High Desert near Mojave, California. September 25th, 1904. The Future Battle Fought in the Past. The big blue sky formed a seemingly endless dome above the desert expanse. McKenna, now in a light shirt and brown trousers, sat with Steuben atop the rocking buckboard. He held the horse reins and looked down at the treeless, rock-strewn landscape toward the distant brown convoluted mountains to the west. The air remained mild even in the high desert. In the binoculars up ahead, Rasputin, wearing chaps and a dark stetson, brought his calico horse along a well-trodden trail northward somehow rasputin don't look like no cowboy said steuben in a countrified voice i have my doubts whether he knows what he's doing steuben raised his binoculars no rasputin is extremely intuitive and brilliant said mckenna that's a remarkable combination mckenna took annie's gray device designed to operate at a low level quantum burrowing. using the device for communications would not drain the cold fusion units like burrow traveling He pushed the tiny red button on the bottom of the device. Grath here. Well, Rasputin is already on the trail, said McKenna. I see the dude, said McGrath, chuckling over the speaker. Rasputin and his calico horse moved slowly along the rocks. McKenna shook the reins and the supplies and tent rattled and back as they rumbled over the upper trail between the twisted Joshua trees and into a rock canyon. All the while, he checked the surrounding rocks and borders for Nico and his people if they were hiding. We'll remain within sighting range of Rasputin, said McGrath. Good. Cam, what is your status? In a few seconds, he answered. We're way up here on the other trail to Bishop. We can go faster on this trail. We'll shadow the south once we get to Bishop. Good. You didn't ask about Beth, said Steuben. Bringing her with Cam is a huge risk. What is she going to do? Cam is an experienced special ops. She's not a threat. You say so, Mark. Under the stars, Steuben scraped the hash under McKenna's plate. The roaring fire burned below the wide plain and the rock formation with an opening with a rock fissure separated. A jackrabbit sprang across the scrub. Now that would have been a good dinner, said Steuben. Bringing the wood up here was a good idea, Georgies. McKenna looked at the smoky frying pan. That smells good. Because it is good. McKenna lifted the fork full of mushy hash to his mouth. Restaurant quality, he said, looking through the opening east toward Nevada. Never seen the clarity like this in the sky. Look at the stars. This is what you get without light pollution. A red glow in the desert and a silhouetted trail of smoke spiraled under the stars across the evening sky. Georgie's, somebody's out there. He lifted the binoculars and detected movement around a campfire. I see it, Mark. I think we're well hidden below the rocks here. He pushed the button for McGrath's device. McGrath answered a few moments later. You guys looking for a good meal? We've had good meals, said Steuben. McKenna peered around the rocks again. Will, check east toward Nevada for a campfire. We should be able to see more in the morning. I see it, said McGrath. Wish I had my instruments on the schooner. Daylight will give us the answers we can't see now. Has to be six or seven miles from where we are. Okay, I wanted you to be aware of it. He pushed Rasputin's device. Rasputin, did you hear us? I did. I must remind you that one fire does not mean Nico. Wait before you go out in the morning until we find out what's going on. Understood. Will, keep an eye on the eastern slopes at daybreak. Yes, sir. As far as Nico, shoot to kill. I'll be ready. McKenna out. McKenna leaned against the rocks. He caught Steuben staring at him. What? Rasputin was right. The further we drop behind, the greater the risk for Mulholland and Eaton. I'll send him up the trail after we check who's out in the desert. McKenna lay inside his blankets as the temperature dropped. Several times he saw shooting stars trace the desert sky. He could identify the constellations, even with all the extra stars. "'What are you thinking about, Mark?' asked Steuben near the horses. "'I was studying the sky and just taking it all in, Georgies. How about you?' "'Oh, you don't want to know. Has to be a woman.' "'No, I was thinking about how they used this selector-dipper to cut the diversion canal and the embankment angles to the 38-foot base,' he said. "'Maybe you should think about women,' he said, laughing.' They have steam shovels, too, ripping apart the rocks and the dirt. And they line the canals with concrete. Then they had open-line canals. Did I ever tell you about the woman I met in Bombay who wanted to go for a roll in the hay? When she ran out of time and luck, Mark, Mark, get serious. We're going to need this knowledge. For instance, it was a limited open conduit running directly out of Owens Lake. There was a girl from Nantucket. I'm not listening. They had lined tunnels and built numerous reservoirs. Wasn't just pipes is what I'm trying to say. If we prevent Mulholland and Eaton from being killed, Nico will have to destroy the aqueduct at some time during its construction, probably the end. Don't worry, Georgies. I've gone over all that in my head, believe me. Actually, I'm pleased you're taking this all in. Another shooting star left a trail across the Big Dipper. Did you see that? I did. Did you actually assemble a pipe with a crew? Oh, sure. For instance, the Jawbone Siphon, 120 miles from L.A., will be 7,000 feet long. Extraordinary. 365 pounds, max pressure. The pipe was so heavy it had to be laid on two-foot piers and a quarter of the lower pipe. Mules hauled the pipe, Mark. Five ring sections on the bottom of the canyon. Rivets were one and a quarter inch in diameter. Each rivet weighed five pounds. They had air hammers at 115 pounds pressure. God, I'd love to work on that construction. There were these girls from Paris. I'll let them on the air hammers. Good night, Georgies. Good night, Mark. Before dawn, McKenna stroked his bristly chin as he faced the blue glow in the east. Across the flatlands dotted with wiry creosote bushes, the campfire had been extinguished during the night. He clutched the rifle, as if gripping the weapon would make him safer. Perhaps the fire had belonged to mere travelers. Why would Nico, with all his resources, go out into the desert to chase Mulholland and Eaton when he could emerge from the Oversea? Or could he? With more limited resources than Time Portal Alpha, popping in and out of the Oversea might not have been an option. I didn't know you were a sunrise watcher, Mark, said Steuben as he walked up to the ledge. I was wondering why my breakfast wasn't ready. Don't worry, I've got another round of hash. For joy, daybreak will be in less than an hour. A little lighter, and let's start moving toward that campfire location. From atop the buckboard, Steuben brought the horses at a slow pace. McKenna squinted as the sun rays shot through scattered clouds above the horizon. Hey, professor, said McKenna, how the hell did they get those pipe sections up here to the high desert? I'm glad you asked. I don't want your reading to go to waste. The pipe was molded back east in 36-foot-long sections. The thing weighed more than 25 tons. Hauling those sections is a project in itself. True, Mark, they were shipped around Cape Horn kidding, he said as they crossed the desert. The Panama Canal won't open for another 10 years. The 25-ton monsters were brought by rail, if you can believe it, to Cinco. At Cinco, they were loaded into mega-wagons and hauled for more miles by teams of 52 mules. I'm impressed. So was Nico. That's why I chose to stop this advancement. And here in 1904, they haven't even sold it to the public. Annie's done some research on that. A rifle shot echoed from the rocks far to the west. What the hell is that? shouted McKenna, grabbing his rifle. His device buzzed. What happened, Will? We came under fire from the ridge, said Annie. Will's been hit. Is he all right? McKenna shook the reins and sent the horses trotting toward the ledge a few miles ahead. Shoulder, I've got pressure on it. Rasputin here. I'm heading back to you, Annie. Three more shots sounded on the device and then echoed across the prairie. We need to secure that ridge first. Keep the pressure on the wound. McKenna spotted the three men with rifles lying on their stomachs atop the rocks. Stop this buckboard, yelled McKenna as the horses slowed. McKenna leaped into the dirt and got down on one knee. He lifted the binoculars. The large frame, Gaudette and two smaller men, Hunter and Perez, had rifles aimed toward Annie and Will. McKenna lined up his rifle with the rocks and unloaded. Immediately, they all scattered like a flock of birds off the rocks. Less than a minute later, all three were on horses and paralleled the ridge north as McKenna fired again. They got away, all three of them, Gaudette, Hunter, and Perez. McKenna climbed on the buckboard and spoke into the device. They're off the rocks. We're coming over there right now. Damn them. They know we'll be back there, Mark, said Steuben. I knew it, he shouted. Niko sent them out as mercenaries. Rasputin, are you there yet? Another few minutes. McKenna leaned forward as Steuben shook the reins. Hurry, Georges top a long rock stretch. Will, shirt removed, looked up at McKenna as Rasputin finished stitching and sealing the wound. We never shot at them when they appeared on the ridge. Obviously they know who you were, said Steuben. McKenna, his heart racing, faced the trail ahead. We know who they were. We couldn't see where they were positioned, said Annie. Then they started shooting. She approached the device and the enhanced images on the ridge. You're right, Gaudette, Perez, and Hunter. McKenna studied the men on the tiny screen. Then he buzzed Cam. Cam, three of the countervail men confirmed. Gaudet, Perez, and Hunter, check your device. McKenna looked north. Annie stood and spoke in almost a whisper. Nico. Damn right. Can we track them, Mark? Asked Steuben. No, they're long gone, Georgies. Not good. The wound is completely sterile and should be healed in a few hours, said Rasputin. He held the mangled slug. I have you on sealing antibiotics. Without our supplies, you would be in jeopardy of a serious infection. He looked up at McKenna and then peeled a plastic and gauze healing compress on the melting stitches. Our medical supplies won't last forever, Mark. Can he travel? Of course. Restricted movement. He lost some blood. And we're back here in the Dark Ages. I'm fine, said McGrath. Listen. Listen said McKenna in a serious voice. I want everyone to proceed north on this trail. Steuben and I are going at an accelerated pace, providing the horses don't tire. Don't play hero, Mark, said Annie. I'm not. It's clear those men are headed after Mulholland and Eden. He pushed the device for Cam. How's Will? asked Cam. I'm doing just fine, Cameron. Cam, I want you and Beth to head due south immediately after you get to Bishop do that, sir. She's gone. What? I brought the horses to the river. I turned and she was gone. Steuben tightened his face at McKenna. Don't say it, Georgies. She said she was going to help the farmers. She said she'd dynamite the aqueduct. That's the least of our problems right now, said McKenna, his face red. If she meets up with Mulholland and Eaton, she could mess up the whole timeline if she starts talking. I'm aware of that, sir. It's my fault. No, I shoulder the blame, Cam. Head back down along the Owens River. Fear off only when you spot Mulholland and Eaton. Loop around and protect the rear until Georgius and I get there. Annie, Will, and Rasputin will follow. What if they attack Mulholland and Eaton? Don't let them. Open fire on those bastards and kill them. We're leaving now. McKenna out. McKenna faced his crew members. Steuben was already atop the buckboard. A rifle was wedged upright next to the seat. We'll be moving at breakneck speed to find Mulholland and Eaton. If you ever get your ass up here, Mark. McKenna leaped up the side and onto the buckboard. Get ready for one hell of a ride. McKenna looked down at McGrath. And Will. Duck next time. Steuben shook the reins and the horses raced forward, raising the dust. McKenna nodded, but he was more concerned about the timeline being changed rather than revenge. Good luck, Mark. Mark. He heard Annie call from behind Steuben. McKenna was unsure, with a head start, that Steuben could catch the three men on horseback. Kim may have been hours away, and McKenna was more worried about Mulholland and Eaton reaching the Owens River with Nico's men on the loose. Chapter 9. Owens River Valley. Near the Owens River. October 4th, 1904. Death in Owens River Valley. As mid-afternoon descended over the Owens Valley brush and the blue oblong lake beyond, McKenna grasped the metal sides of the buckboard and bounced over a semblance of the trail northward. Steuben pushed the horses over the uneven terrain, bordered by the convoluted, chocolate-purple mountains across the lake. Steuben spoke in a louder voice. That lake eventually sank to just 40 square miles and only a few feet deep. It became a hyper brine pool. I understand all that, Georgies. My responsibility on this mission is to assure the original timeline, not take political stands. His device had just buzzed. Cam, are you near the lake? Asked McKenna, his voice vibrating with the bumpy ground as they rumbled along. No, sir. Along the riverbank, below Independence. I can see Mount Whitney. Steuben and I are on the other side of the lake, heading north. As the sun beat down, McKenna adjusted his dusty brown Homburg hat and then pulled out... The tiny plastic burrowing device. Cam, what do you see? Sir, just spotted Mr. Mulholland and Mr. E. Traveling north several miles from here. They aren't moving very fast, sir. Checking the land. I'm heading southwest. And then once they're ahead of me, I'll take a position looking south along the river. Cam, make sure the position you take is shielded. Georgies and I will get there as fast as we can. And still we'll leave Nico and his other men. One thing at a time, kid. I'm not sure if Nico and the others are even back there. What makes you say that? asked Cam. Because he would have just left the Overseas, as I said before, killed Mulholland and Eaton, and returned. We keep seeing that ultra image. Maybe for his own protection. I didn't think of that. Maybe he just wants to taunt me. As the horses galloped onto level ground, McKenna's device sounded Yes, Cam. I see them. Nico's men, approximately five miles from Mulholland and Eton, along a wood bridge over the Owens River. Closing in, I'll be within firing range in a few minutes. I don't see them yet. Verify that it is them. Start firing once you set up. I see the river. They match the images, sir, that Andy printed. Garnet Perez, and Hunter. We must be close to you. McKenna shielded the sun with his hand below the hat brim for the next half hour. His rifle sat upright in the sidewalks. With the binoculars, the blue winding river and grassy banks shook from the bouncing buckboard. Then McKenna saw the three men on a wooden bridge. One of them stood and fired at the buckboard as McKenna and Steuben closed in. The horses neighed upward and Steuben brought the wagon behind a boulder to the right. Let's go in on foot! cam's gun barrage started down the narrow winding river all three of nico's men were pinned down on the bridge ahead they kept looking back toward McKenna and steuben the big man gaudette limped back to his dark horse and pulled out a pouch from the saddlebag McKenna slid aimed and fired three times buckling him at the knees gaudette fell forward with the pouch it was at that time steuben shot the lean frame hunter running from the bridge as he fired his rifle the last man raised his rifle at Cam in the grass, fired, and then retreated. Cam shot him, trying to escape near his horse, and then waved at McKenna in the sunlight atop the bridge. All three men were down. Let's make sure they're dead, said McKenna. McKenna jogged forward into the tree grove. He pushed the man with the blue checkered shirt, Hunter, whom he had worked with years ago. Hunter had an ice-death stare. Guardette and Paris are dead, said Steuben. So is Hunter. What a waste. McKenna stared at the dead men and said nothing. Then he walked up to Steuben. Never good when somebody dies, said Steuben. These men were gifted scientists who followed Nico Moro. We need to bury these men, said McKenna in a low voice. I'll start digging the graves. Call Annie and tell her what happened. Hopefully they'll be up here soon. I'll ride forward and track Mulholland and Eaton. Make sure no one else is back here. Mark, protect those men. We'll catch up with you. As Steuben waited back at the bridge for Annie, Rasputin, and McGrath, McKenna caught up with Mulholland and Eaton far away from the bridge. In the late afternoon, near a river bend, Mulholland, mustached and in his dark shirt, scooped up some of the river water to his mouth. Then he looked up at the spectacled Eaton and nodded. He gazed into a surveyor's transit. Both men then walked along the grassy riverbank, Eaton pointed downstream. McKenna leaned his head against his horse as the horse slurped the river water. He rubbed his eyes and weighed Nico's strategy. Killing Gaudet, Perez, and Hunter would mean nothing to Nico. There could be dozens of operatives lurking here in 1904. And where was Nico himself? McKenna propped the rifle between his arm and his shoulder as he reached into his saddlebag and removed a beef jerky. He peeled back the covering, munched, and then lifted his canteen. In just a few years, construction would commence. Trenches would be dug with steam shovels, like Steuben told him. Spillways with concrete liners would be sculptured through the desert. Massive pipes would trace the land contours 200-plus miles to the Newhall Pass at the north end of the San Fernando Valley. Water would flow from this valley and the surrounding Purple Mountains into the homes, businesses, and farms around Los Angeles. His device sounded. Mark, this is Rasputin. How is Will? He'll be all right in a few hours. The men are all buried. I know this bothers you, Mark. What bothers me, Rasputin, is what we're up against, the disappearing Dr. Morrow. Mark, we're heading north to your location. I'm sighting Mohan and Eaton with my binoculars. They're walking along the Owens River. Hold your position, Rasputin. I want to make sure no more of Niko's men are coming up the river. We don't even know if Nico knows Gaudet and the others are dead. Niko has the ability to send more individuals back here, said Rasputin. Maybe. He may still have a schooner-like vehicle. What we're going to have to do is return to our own schooner and move forward in time. If the original timeline is changed has taken some other action ahead in time, said Rasputin. Exactly. If he wasn't in the Oversea, he may have vanished. I know I'm getting into metaphysics here. I think it's pretty accurate. McKenna watched the animated Eaton as Mulholland listened on the riverbank. So much was riding on the success of these two men. There would be fast dealing and many men made fortunes, but McKenna kept returning to his duty to restore the previous timeline. His anger at Nico surged. I'm going to stay a distance from Mulholland and Eaton as they scope out the area. We'll eventually, when they're safe, go back to City Hall and enter the schooner. I feel it's too dangerous to enter the oversea from up here. Nico could spot it. I don't even think he's back here. Look, I'll trail Mulholland and Eaton, and we'll rendezvous in approximately 48 hours. We'll get underway for a forward advance in time as soon as possible. Understood, Mark. Rasputin out. Coyotes, or maybe the wolves, howled near the river. McKenna sat up under the stars. The commotion moved north, as if they were fleeing. Then he kicked away his bedroll and drew his gun. He knew that Mulholland and Eaton were camped about a mile down the river. The howling ceased as he moved along the rocks. He panned the gun over the sparkling, moonlit water. Hello, Mark. McKenna spun around. The bearded Nico, in a bulky coat, stood 20 feet back along the rocks. Nico wore a floppy gray hat and a purple rose in his coat lapel. I have to compliment you on your tenacity, your bravery, and your courage. Shut up. McKenna stepped closer. Nico looked as if he were in real time. You have three men dead, Mara. What about them? Everyone is expendable. Reality has a bitter taste said Nico. You're an amoral fool, shouted McKenna as he pointed the gun at Nico. Who's immoral now? <laughs> you have no power over me. Another alter image, you look real to me. Improved, McKenna pointed his pistol. Mulholland and Eaton will return to LA where they'll garner public support and fund the Los Angeles aqueduct. Don't worry, Nico, I'll bury you up here. Hopefully, the wolves won't get to your body. You don't have the guts to shoot me. Your time is up. McKenna fired three times, but Nico appeared unaffected. <laughs> Having trouble, Mark? You perfected the Ultra image. McKenna stumbled forward and straight through Nico's image. You're back on Phobos. No, I am not. Come find me, Mark. Said Nico as he turned. Come find me. I'll kill you. No, you won't. And this aqueduct will never be built. So, what you do is you send more people back to kill Mulholland and Eden. I'm planning something far more spectacular for you, Mark, and for this project. McKenna lowered his gun. You seem to have an unusual animus against me. Nico's image glowed in the night air. You know what it's like to have your whole career, your whole life destroyed. And you think I did that, demanded McKenna. You're insane, Morrow, and you don't even have the courage to face me head on. You hide back in time somewhere. You're a dead man. You live at my convenience, and the only reason you're alive right now is so that you'll pursue your futile quest to stop what I will do in this timeline. Nico clamped his teeth as his temper boiled to a furious crescendo. He shook his Slazer extension from his severed hand and spewed a lethal red Slazer beam toward McKenna. McKenna leaped under his stomach. The Slazer beam passed through McKenna with no effect and dissipated in clumps across the desert darkness. Nico had activated the Slazer from another time period. Nico's voice echoed in the night. When you meet me in person, Mark... This laser beam will slice you into a thousand pieces. With his final words, he disappeared as if he were fading out of a movie scene. McKenna hyperventilated on his stomach and pulled out a device to buzz Rasputin. Rasputin! Rasputin, said his officer in a low voice. Rasputin, Nico's ultra image just appeared here in my encampment. He claims he's going to try again to destroy the aqueduct. He's in the future, somewhere. We mustn't open the Oversea. We must burrow back at the city hall. I agree. Opening the Oversea here would alert Nico to its location. It's critical that we locate the time and place of Nico's attacks on the aqueduct. The only way to do that is to head forward in time and determine when the present timeline changes. Chapter 10. The Schooner Samos. Inside the Oversea Dimensional Bubble, Los Angeles, California, October 15, 1904, a second chance for annihilation. Under the schooner's window span, a freshly shaved McKenna, feeling clean and in charge in his uniform, suddenly became mesmerized by the 1904 traffic progression of horses and wagons below the city hall tower. Occasionally an automobile chugged along. Even with Mulholland safely in Los Angeles via San Francisco and Eaton on his way to secure bonds in New York City, McKenna felt helpless against the pervasive image of Nico alive but secluded in time. The trip forward in time would be slow and different. Annie repeatedly told him that the data to demonstrate another change in the original timeline could only be found by looking back from a vantage point forward in time. Finding that disruption, the epicenter of change, would require meticulous and persistent work. Cold fusion pods were at 4% when we re-entered the schooner. Reported Steuben is back to McKenna in front of the nose cone window span. Then he turned. It came precariously close to losing power and never getting back to the schooner. One of us will have to remain inside when we go out again, Mark. We got lucky, said McKenna. Mark, we're beginning the checklist and should be underway in about 20 minutes when the locks reach 100%, said McGrath as he swiveled his chair next to Steuben. Thanks, Will. McKenna leaned back in his chair. If Nico could think clearly, he would have sent more men back to 1904 to kill us, Mulholland and Eaton. He's insane and playing his vengeful games. Whoever said Nico thought clearly, said Andy, looking at the traffic below. I was getting used to this place. Don't worry, this building will stand until 1928, said Rasputin. Then they'll build a larger city hall. What about Beth? asked Annie at her padded tablet. She's on the loose and extremely upset. McKenna said nothing for several seconds. His eyes tightened and he spoke slowly. There's nothing we can do. He paused as he thought what to say. We can't stay here and search for her over that vast area. We just have to hope that she fades away on the timeline. Or she could change the timeline, said Cam. She kept telling me that the Owens Valley farmers got scammed. Some did, and the land was changed, said McKenna, alternately looking at the horses and wagons below. That's not our fight, Cameron. Locking into oversee variables, said McGrath. McKenna stood as Cam relayed the data from the secondary seat behind McGrath. Thruster interlocks connected. Thank you, Cam, said Steuben, who usually reported that information. McKenna smiled and moved back with Rasputin across the table. Have you thought about the ultra-image, Rasputin? He puckered his lips as if he were going to whistle. I have been consumed in thought, not so much as to Nico forming such a perfect image. My conundrum consists of Nico beaming An interactive, perfect image back in time. It would be on some kind of channel, perhaps traceable. He does this for his own defense. McKenna put his palms on the table and leaned forward. Scary business. How do we kill him if we don't know where he is? Ah, said Rasputin, raising his finger. The key to that is following the trail. There must be some type of trail. Keep working on it. Rasputin nodded as the tube lights went to half-level for travel. We're ready to merge, Commander, said Steuben. McGrath moved the acceleration lever forward. Merging in five, four, three, two, one. Merge. Bright gold cluster formed and then advanced into the silhouette area below the pale orange surround and the darkness above. McKenna closed his eyes and then ran his finger over his lids. This is a dangerous business, time travel. I'm not sure mankind can handle it, said Rasputin. Too many variables, too much ambition. When three conventional days had passed, Annie requested for Steuben and McGrath to stop the schooner. The interior lights slowly brightened. Exiting the oversea would bring them to 1975 A.D which Annie suggested was far enough along in the timeline to view any changes by Nico. McKenna sat across from Annie's viewer. I am picking up changes outside. As the schooner moved forward, McKenna now rested his chin on his clenched fist as he pivoted toward the bearded Rasputin. Mark, from this point on the timeline, looking back, everything is the way it should have been on July 29, 1905. The headline in the Los Angeles Daily Times reads, Titanic project to give city a river. 30,000 inches of water to be brought to Los Angeles. Mulholland's photo is on the front page. McKenna read the next line out loud. Options secured on 40 miles of river frontage in Inyo County. Magnificent stream to be conveyed down to the southland in conduit 240 miles long. Stupendous steel close further down. In 1902, the city of Los Angeles took over the city's water supply and the Bureau of Water Works and Supply was formed, with Mulholland continuing as superintendent. So Nico has done nothing to the aqueduct as of that day. McKenna approached Steuben as the schooner hovered. Eaton ran the Crystal Springs Land and Water Company and Mulholland worked for him. They formed a relationship and getting more of water to the city was always on their mind, even when Eaton was mayor of Los Angeles. As we know, Eaton convinced his friend Bill Mulholland to travel with him to see the Owens Valley, which they did by buckboard passing through the Newhall Saugus area in 1904. Eaton and Mulholland just as we saw them, said McKenna, looking up. Check the newspapers further along, Annie. Don't forget Eaton had traveled to the Owens for years and had bought land rights up there, said Annie. McKenna nodded and looked up front toward McGrath. Will! Is there any way to trace where that ultra image of Nico originated, as Rasputin mentioned? We can try the Oversea Variable Scans, Mark, but it's a long shot. Be my guest, he looked up at Rasputin. What do you think? Diabolical. Thank you for your scientific acumen, Rasputin, said McKenna. Annie raised her hand. I have found a definite disruption beginning in 1914. The aqueduct had been completed in November of 1913. But what happened? asked McKenna as he scurried up to her viewer. Whole bunch of stuff. March 1st, 1914, the jawbone siphon construction not just destroyed, mules were burned to death and steel melted, maybe a Slazer. McKenna pounded the table. So that's how he does it now? He uses weapons from the future? There were seven men killed, said Annie. I would say that is definitely a pilfered slaser blast weapon, said Steuben, kind we use on military ships. Mulholland and the marshals surrounded the area, but it was too late, Mark, said Annie. There was nobody there to fight. Who knows how Nico and his minions did it? The newspapers were all over Mulholland for inadequate security, said Rasputin. Eaton and Chandler and the others were able to quell the uproar. June sixteenth, 1914, said Annie. There's more? Just the beginning. The monolith cement plant was vaporized, an explosion more powerful than anything on earth. That really messed things up and started the overturn movement in L.A. and all around the state. McKenna closed his eyes and pinched the bridge of his nose. Read the other incidents, Annie. June 28, 1914 Whitney Tunnel melted in flattened steel. June 14, 1914 grapevine siphon magnetically moved and dropped 300 yards away. The project was halted on July 15, 1914 by Mayor Rose and the water commissioners. McKenna stared at Steuben. Georges he set up an impossible situation. but it hasn't happened yet Commander, and it's not the original timeline that we know. I understand and he continued reading the file. The aqueduct was started again on September 16th with additional funding, no more attacks. Nico turned to biological warfare, an anthrax scare, July 1914. Dozens of people and animals dead near independence. On August 17th, 1914, typhoid was discovered at the Fairmount Reservoir, as predicted by some critics. Again, the project was halted September 17th, 1914. On December 11, 1914, the Elizabeth Tunnel was destroyed. Annie looked up with tears in her eyes. The project was permanently shut down. Morrow is insane, said Stuben, and remarkably evil. Mark, Beth was implicated in several of these incidents. McKenna again rested his chin on his tightened hand. I'll be in my cabin. I want recommendations when we meet back here in two hours. McKenna started back to the aft of the schooner. Beth was an obstacle to the completion of the aqueduct. He knew as he entered his cabin, lowered the lights, and as he lay on the bed, that she would have to be treated just like Nico or any of his men. The meeting began three hours later under a single tube light at the conference table. As they headed back across the Oversea in the 20th century on Earth, McGrath and Cam both reported another object in the Oversea. Object of an ultra-image? Apparently someone has penetrated the dimensional bubble, said Steuben. Do we have a visual? Coming into range, said Rasputin. On the center screen, far away from the mags, the emerging shape resembled a massive silver ship, like the so-called Voyage of Discovery ships in Columbus's time. Yet this vessel had a dull, pewter look. It seemed slightly longer than the schooner. McKenna locked his eyes with Steuben. He knew that Steuben was thinking the rogue ship belonged to Dr. Nico Morrow. Where did this come from? Ratings indicate, said McGrath. Point of origin, 2084, current timeline. Will, can you hide the schooner before he gets within range? Hide the schooner, Mark? asked McGrath. There is a way, shouted Annie. How? asked McKenna as he rounded the table to her viewer. Start a new dimension, regress. In theory, it should work. But we run the risk of not getting back into this Earth-concentric area. Do it. Mark, he may just pass us like two ships in the night, said Annie. He has weapons. He'll kill us, said Steuben. Why not just take him out, said Cam. Hold it, Cam, said McKenna, gesturing with his hand. We don't have the time. Annie, plot the dimension and George's implement it before he sees us. Annie looked up, plotted, implemented, said Steuben. The outside dimension went from apricot to black. We're hovering just outside the dimension, Mark, said McGrath. I can get you a depiction, but no real-time image. Give him time to pass. And Annie, we need to scan his trail. Obviously, he's going back to stop the aqueduct. Preparing to scan the rogue ship when we exit, and I will correlate his position to the timeline, said McGrath. McKenna paced slowly around the table. The forward movement of the schooner, unlike the movement within gravity, did not have a sense of momentum. Cam, prepare the conventional weapons we have from 1904. Wherever Nico goes, we'll engage him and his men immediately. Yes, sir, said Cam as he walked back into the storage area past the cabins. Annie, in one minute, re-enter the oversea dimension. Preparing parallels. McKenna folded his hands and looked at Rasputin. What do you think, Rasputin? We are looking at an actual attack, Mark. Ten seconds to regress, said Annie in front of a screen. Five, four, three, two, one. The schooner simply snapped into place under the pale orange surround and the dark mountainous border. The gray haze lingered far down the pathway groove. We're in, said Annie. Good job. McKenna told her, leaning toward the viewer while catching the silver ship in the opposite direction. Remain back here until he stops. Nico is proceeding to 1920 and beyond. Cam brought the first box of 1900's weapons to the front table. I can't wait to shoot these babies. Hold your horses, Cam. Asleep in his cabin, McKenna was awakened by a beeping sound. McKenna, he said from the bed in the low blue light, what's going on? The rogue ship is slowing, Mark, said McGrath. McKenna checked the blue lights on the wall clock, 3.30. I'll see if I can get Nico to let you finish your beauty sleep. McKenna smiled and stood in his olive skivvies. How do we know it's Nico? This is Annie. She's on a course to 1912 or 1913, and he's the only one that can do this. I'll buy that, said McKenna, running his hand down his face. He walked to the bath and splashed water across his skin. Our regression has skewed the time estimates, Mark. If we follow Nico, we're not going to know the date of the new epicenter until we're on the ground. This is where he begins his sabotage, unless we stop it. We'll figure that out from the date we already have in your devices, Andy. McKenna grabbed his uniform. I'll be right there. Mark... We're in the oversea, paralleling the Earth's atmosphere above California," said McGrath. 1913. McKenna folded his arms across his chest. Rasputin scanned from Owens Valley down to L.A. in post images. Scanning. McGrath looped the schooner downward toward the United States Pacific coast. The mountain folds were sifted white with snow in the Sierras as the brown plains swept to the blue Pacific. I have images, Commander. On real-time viewer, said McCann. What is that? A completed aqueduct? Scans show the Jawbone Canyon Siphon portion of the aqueduct is not yet completed at this time, said Rasputin. That would indicate we are in a time in 1913 or before, said Annie he enlarged an image of a cement mill. Smoke spewed from three smokestacks above a massive complex of light colored buildings in the desert with brown mountains in the background. An entire town called Monolith was created solely to produce cement. Looks very productive, said McKenna. A thousand barrels a day, Mark. The limestone and clay were taken from deposits in the Tehachapi Mountains. If he destroys that plant, Commander, he could shut down the project, said Cam exactly right Cameron said McKenna we need to be on the ground that would mean working for the chief quipped Steuben I wouldn't mind that I respect Bill Mulholland not all of us we keep people back in the schooner said McKenna but I should point out said Steuben that jawbone siphon is indeed in this Tehachapi area also at this point with the siphon incomplete the plant would be a more advantageous target said rasputin but there's hundreds of points tunnels reservoirs canals i disagree said mckenna he's going to wait till the aqueduct is completed he will i know he will he all but told me that he's sick enough to do that isn't he asked kim looking up i suggest an easier access for us said annie the small hill overlooking the monolith plant From that hill, we can monitor on our reality panels just who's out there. McKenna ran his fingers along Jen's poster. Time is a gift. The average temperature is 52 degrees and gets cold at night. Average 31 degrees Fahrenheit. But it looks like it's been a colder winter. Get us warm clothing. We'll get on the ground and be the eyes and ears before Nico even gets here. Chapter 11. Above the Monolith Cement Plant, Tehachapi, California, February 8, 1913. Boots on the Ground. McKenna worked for three weeks at the Monolith Cement Plant, loading barrels of cement for the aqueduct. Sometimes he would be sent to help get limestone back to the plant by rail. For that trip he wore a lightweight jacket which he took off while working. Sleeping in the tent required several blankets. All the while he watched every worker for infiltration by members of Section 5 of Countervail, or even Nico himself. When Annie first opened the shield via quantum burrowing, McKenna stepped into 1913. He hiked down the hill to the plant. By using the burrowing method, Rasputin was certain entry into real time would be hidden from Nico and his cohorts. McKenna got lucky. Propitiously and surprisingly, he was granted an interview with Rod McKay, officially the mechanical constructor, but a man who was in charge of the cement mill and who had advised about heavy mechanical equipment. McKenna explained to McKay how he worked in a quarry, but he neglected to tell McKay he labored almost 200 years in the future. McKay liked McKenna and put him to work with Charlie Ferguson, the plant supervisor, the next morning, moving barrels of cement powder onto railway cars. The six-foot-four Fergie had a serious demeanor with his short hair and his gruff expression, but McKenna soon found Fergie to be organized and a motivator. He also had a sense of humor, but only when the work was done. Hey, McKenna, you need to toughen up those hands. With sweat dripping down his forehead, McKenna smiled. You don't think I'm going to be able to do this job, do you, Fergie? You look like a college boy or a boy of privilege. McKenna began laughing. You want to back that up, Fergie? Fergie grinned. Are you challenging me, McKenna? Yeah. Most statemen men just want work, and you're challenging me. That's correct. You better think over your challenge, buddy. This is a ballbuster of a job. Can you take it? We'll see. Fergie seemed to respect him on some level. I'll give you what the chief gives the tunnel workers. Another 40 cents to your day's pay if you exceed what I give you for a day's work. Then he laughed. <laughs> just just watch out for the sidewinders. Whatever you want me to do, Fergie. Fergie's massive paw-like hand surrounded McKenna's smooth hand. Good. You can start up at the Cuddleback Ranch. That's where you get the clays and the line. Right. You'll be loading barrels, bud. Let's go. I think that 40 cents is staying in my pocket. As he climbed into a wagon with the other men, he noticed a slender woman with pinned-up blonde hair at the commissary. Men loaded food and supplies on her wagon. She smiled and signed the order, then nodded at the clerk. Then she climbed up in her jeans. She shook the reins and the horses moved forward. McKenna smiled and followed the wagon as it headed west. Hey, McKenna, you best keep your eye on the ball if you want to get your bonus. Sometimes you just need a little motivation, Fergie. Suit yourself. He looked down where the wagon had just crested the hill. I will! The first few days in the hills, lifting the heavy barrels, taxed McKenna's stamina, but as the days progressed, he gained muscle mass and lost enough weight to tighten his biceps. Callus built up on his hands, consistently surprised Fergie with his effort and results. Under the smokestacks and the moderate winter temperatures, he worked 10 to 12 hours a day and volunteered for additional work. At night, he slept well when the temperature stayed above freezing in one of the quarter tents with the other men working at the plant. Andy reported that the cold fusion interlocks were over magnetized and still charging. McKenna and Steuben could not get back on the schooner using quantum burrowing until the cold fusion units had charged. Rasputin and McGrath were still working on countering the quantum burrowing's magnetic buildup. At the end of the week, he traveled on a supply wagon to the job-owned Siphon to meet with Steuben. When he reached the top of the scrub brush mountain, he witnessed a burst of activity down in the canyon. Mules slowly moved massive steel pipe sections on carriages. Men and machinery produced constant motion. The pipes were connected quickly and efficiently. After the rivets were set by hand, men operated electric compressor hammers that pounded the rivets linking the pipes together. Steuben wore a black derby hat. Why the hat, Georgies? This is the closest they come to a hard hat. Won't be very effective if a rock lands on my head. Well, you look dapper. Lifting those rivets, I don't feel dapper. They're five pounds apiece. Wow. I'll trade you, Georgie, for the cement barrels. Six to one, half dozen of the other, Mark. I almost thought we had located Nico's men. Why, would happen? asked McKenna. Three men who were burned to death in a siphon at the aqueduct at Cinco. A guy named Ward. It wasn't Nico Slaser, was it? That's what I thought, but I asked the men coming down from Cinco on the rail. Ward and the other two guys, one of them dropped a light into a coat of tar inside one of the siphons, and the thing exploded. Sorry for the men, but I'm glad it wasn't Nico. He opened the mess hall door, and Steuben merged in line ahead of McKenna. McKenna spotted the woman in the denim jeans back at Monolith last week, who now served chicken and potatoes to work as up front along the table. Except she now wore a beige-colored skirt and white blouse. When she first saw him, she looked at him a little longer than usual and went back to serving. Steuben headed down to the table to the right. Kenner asked the woman for coffee as he approached. She lip-smiled and then handed him the warm metal mug. There you go, sir. He said wiping her brow thank you very much she produced a wide smile you're welcome very much something about this woman grabbed his attention at the table as mckenna sat down steuben assured him he checked every face for nico and the remaining section five men from counterville unbelievable these men could believe in this monster i'm still not sure nico's even arrived here in 1913 at all mckenna watched the woman with the blonde hair Working extremely hard, serving the food. She probably helped cook it too. He exits his ship without quantum burrowing. We'll notice it. I haven't noticed any security on this project, Georgie's. There's J.T. Williams, and he has a few men. Tell him about Nico and the others if you meet him, and I'll do the same. I should be back during the week. The woman up front spoke to a tall man with dark hair and a large nose. They both hoisted a large pan of potatoes to the rear table. I respect good workers, Georgies. Good, I'll make you foreman. A few times a day McKenna contacted Steuben via Annie's communications device. He met Steuben at the top of the canyon on a Friday afternoon. A stiff wind buffeted the hillside. Steuben's beard had grown dark, and his drawn face and heavy eyelids made him more ominous than usual. Moving and riveting the pipes slowed him down. He had not seen any of Nico's men. The tunnels here are sandstone. Down at Saugus they had to cut through granite. Be glad you're not in Saugus, Georgies. You're in luck, Mark. McKenna chugged some water from a glass bottle. How so? You gonna put me to work over here? Look down the road, along the sag pipe. McKenna followed the pipe down the hill. What's the story, Georgies? What do you see? Men driving around in a car. Those men in the open car. Harvey Van Norman from the Owens Intake. Hansen here at the Jawbone. Hansen has no sense of humor. And Bill Mulholland, the chief. Bill Mulholland? You're kidding. The mustache Mulholland, in a long-sleeved shirt and suspenders, looked inside the gigantic pipe and then pointed up the hill. He placed a green brimmed cap on his head. We don't mess around at the Jawbone. Georgie, we're witnessing history. You want to get down to the car? Steuben laughed. Willie Shaver went over to the car when they were on the other side of the jawbone. Mulholland squinted at him and pointed his finger, said Steuben as he laughed again. He said, and I quote, You get back to goddamn work or I'll yank your pay card. He said that? Steuben nodded as McKenna watched Mulholland inspect some of the air hammers. A no-nonsense type of guy. I think I'll pass on any introductions, said McKenna as Mulholland stepped into the open car. The car kicked up the dust as they drove back along the rail line. You didn't get your ass thrown off the project. McKenna grinned. No, I did not. Steuben patted McKenna on the shoulder. Now get back to goddamn work. Let's meet again on Saturday morning, Mark. Is the mess hall open? It will be. I like the food here said McKenna, even though he was thinking of the slender woman behind the table. Thirty cents a meal, you can't go wrong. Good. You sound like you're trying to get rid of me, Georgies. No, we have work to do on another section. We're on a timetable. Come on, you know how important it is to watch all those guys going to dinner. Could be Nico's men. All right, all right. With this job, we can keep eating and not put on any weight. At the end of the week, McKenna, next to the Jawbone Canyon, spotted Steuben near an unconnected section of pipe along the desert canyon's incline. Steuben wore a dusty hat and a pair of green suspenders that held up his trousers. McKenna gave Steuben the thumbs-up sign as he approached. McKenna walked around the humongous section, astounded by the process of connecting the pipe. Steuben told McKenna that a group of mules had tugged this prodigious pipe on a wheel carriage up the desert floor. Welcome back to Hell on Earth, Mark. I haven't worked this hard since never. Tell me about it, Georgies. I'm in shape for fall football after loading those cement barrels. Hansen understands the specifications, but not the sweat. Hansen? AC Hansen, the jawbone engineer. But Mulholland designed it. The man with Van Norman and Mulholland at the bottom of the canyon. They moved along the pipe shadow. Exactly. Find it amazing, Mark, that Mulholland et al. are producing a river through the desert. When this siphon is done, it will be gravity-fed. He said, pointing to the half-complete north side of the pipe. Pressure will be so great it will go up over the south side and then down to Los Angeles. It's really a sag pipe. Then this is an important portion of the aqueduct. Steuben produced a fish face. There are a thousand critical portions. That's what makes this project so remarkable. More places for Nico to attack. He's even back here. Have you eaten yet, Mark? McKenna shook his head. No, I left right after work. Come on down to the mess hall. The food was good. Two men marched along the tents in the wood-constructed bunkhouse area. The commissary sat atop a hill to the right. Even in the late afternoon, teams of mules about 50 yards away moved another massive metal section of pipe south. This project will be done in a month, correct, Georgies? Steuben nodded. March, according to the history books. Kenna kind of squinted at the sun-drenched high desert. Those mules are a force. I talked to John Anderson. Who's he? Chief Steam Shovel Operator. But the mules, he said, are more effective. Hansen says that too. I never realized that. His device buzzed in his pants pocket. He hid it in the palm of his hand. Annie's name flashed on the readout. He connected to the schooner. What's the report, Annie? Mark and Georgies, I'm here with Rasputin McGrath analyzing a weak signal from up in the Owens Valley, specifically along the Owens River. He furrowed his brow. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Marconi is the only one fiddling with radio at this time. Partially correct. Said Rasputin from the schooner. There are many radio transmitters. The problem, Mark, with this signal, is that it's on a microwave band. and only lasted seven seconds. That's odd. That type of signal is non-existent in this time said Steuben, shaking his head. He's right, said McGrath in the background. All of us think Nico is up there. I agree, but it's not for blowing up anything. Like I said, he'll wait until the water begins flowing from the Owens Valley. This is Will. Mark, we need to get the element of surprise. Go up north and stop them from planning any biological siege you may also have in mind. I just kill Nico and put an end to his plans, said Steuben. Listen, Will, Rasputin and Cam, I agree with Steuben. I say that if Nico was up in the Owens Valley, we'd get him right now. And he says that since we were here last in 1904, Mulholland has built roads, electrical and phone lines all the way to Owens Valley. I want all of you armed and heading up north. Surveillance and possible engagement. I don't feel comfortable bringing the schooner anywhere near Owens. Nico might monitor you. Bring nighttime gear. It may dip below freezing right away, Mark, said McGrath. I can get you horses and a wagon, added Steuben. I would say they're scoping out the area, said McKenna. Study their faces and be prepared. All of them must be killed. Rasputin, get progress reports to Annie as you move north. Georgies is keeping an eye on all personnel at the Jawbone Siphon. There's hundreds of people here at the Jawbone, Mark. You've got an eagle eye, Georgies. And I'm monitoring the monolith plant in the Cuddleback Ranch near Mojave where they have the lime and clay deposits. Buzz me sometime tomorrow. Good luck, gentlemen. Steuben's face tightened. Nico has the advantage because he's the aggressor. McKenna flexed his developing biceps. Then we become the aggressor. Cool down, boy, cool down. I'm actually working and not herding mules, said McKenna. Funny, Mark, funny. McKenna watched some of the workers entering the cookhouse hall to the left. The slim woman with pinned-up blonde hair, wearing a long teal skirt and white blouse, caught McKenna's eye. Something wrong, Mark? No, Georgies, everything is fine. I'm sure it is, he said with a slight smile. We'll see. Can I get something to eat in this cookhouse, or are we just going to hang out here? Sure said Steuben, raising his brows i'll have cookie get you something the men eating supper the crowd buzz filled the room steam billowed out of huge metal pots boiling potatoes and the smell of roasted chicken drifted through the air even the coffee left a distinctive odor McKenna thanked the lanky cookie, a curly-haired man with big brown eyes and a big nose. He added another scoop of potato over the same boiled chicken McKenna ate at Monolith. The young woman with curly, pinned-up blonde hair had a wide smile and sparkling green eyes up close. She turned to him. Of all the times he had seen her at the Jawbone Canyon, he hadn't spoken with her. "'Well, hello there,' she said. "'I believe you like coffee.' She wore a white apron over her teal skirt. "'I do.' I guess you people are fully stocked. Yes, indeedy. And do I take that for a yes? She raised her dark brows and smiled. Yes, you may. She poured the hot coffee into a blue metallic mug. Then she handed the mug to McKenna. He gripped both sides. Thank you. My pleasure. What brings you up here to the high desert? Asked McKenna. This is a tough job. To answer your question, the project has an entire organization and legal contract, sir. And I think what Mulholland is doing here with this aqueduct is quite extraordinary for California and for the country. I was hired after Joe Desmond. He had the contract with the city, she said as she leaned closer. She wore a silky-scented perfume and put her hand next to her mouth as she spoke in a whisper. If you want to know the truth, Joe ran the project into the ground. They had to let him go, and then they raised the meal to 30 cents. I see. She grinned at him. Oh, you do, do you? Of course said McKenna, finally sipping the coffee. I'm Mark McKenna, by the way. I'm Jane Wilson. Well, actually, Aubrey Jane. She grasped his toughened hand. You, sir, are one hard worker. Your hands are callous hard. McKenna wished he had shaved his bristly cheeks, or maybe not. I work at Monolith. Steuben here is my friend. He makes two dollars a day and bonuses here on the cipher. A lot of us came up here working from mines up north. I know Steuben. Doesn't say much, but works a lot. "'Yeah, that's him.' "'Take your time, Mark,' said Steuben, moving up in line. "'There he is, man of the hour,' said McKenna. "'Aubrey grinned at McKenna. "'She poured a mug of coffee to Steuben. "'Thank you, Aubrey,' said Steuben. "'You're welcome.' "'She smiled a sweet smile that McKenna found very attractive. "'Can I get you, gentlemen, anything else?' "'McKenna was tempted to ask her to sit at the table, "'but his common sense took over. "'He and Steuben were in a struggle for time, and he needed to remain focused, but she affected him in a very odd way. You're very gracious, Aubrey, thank you. She mouthed the words. You're welcome. Steuben followed McKenna over to the table. McKenna watched Aubrey beebop around the kitchen as she waited on the men in line. I was thinking about Nico, said Steuben. You're right, he's going to hit the aqueduct all at once just before the water flows. And I'm wondering if we should go up to the intake with the others. Let Rasputin, Cam, and McGrath handle it. They'll be fully armed. Hopefully Nico is out in the open now. That's the other thing. We've only seen ultra images of Nico. McKenna drank the black coffee and then smacked his lips. He'll be directing this whole operation against the aqueduct. You can count on it. I hope so. One of the workers hid his dusty hat on his breeches as he headed to the table. Georgies, we need you with this section pipe. So much for a break said Steuben. Buzz me if you hear anything from Annie. McKenna shook his hand and Steuben slipped outside with the workers to the mules. McKenna continued eating again and watched Aubrey stirring something behind the counter. She wiped her brow and then poured herself a glass of water and drank it. Another lady approached from behind the stoves and gestured for her to take a rest. Aubrey wiped her forehead with her apron and then removed the apron and set it on the counter. As she rounded the counter in her teal skirt, McKenna waved, and to his surprise, she moved toward his table. Her perfume trailed behind. "'Have a seat,' said McKenna, standing. "'You want some more water?' "'Thank you, sir.' McKenna poured the water from a metal pitcher into a cup. "'It's hot by that oven. "'You sound like you're from Missouri or the Midwest.' "'Really?' She was one of those people who had eyes that reflected her emotions. "'I spent time in Oklahoma and then moved out to California.' I'm from Ohio. What are you doing up here, Mr. McKenna? She said, folding her hands. California is the land of opportunity. That it is. McKenna folded his hands. What brought you to the project? Well, I was a Harvey girl, she said, sitting up proudly. Really? Asked McKenna, but he did not know the term. Yes, sir. I answered the Harvey girl ad at the Bastante in Hutchinson, Kansas, and got the job i'm not surprised said mckenna enjoying your company bless your heart mr mckenna you have no idea what i'm talking about do you miss wilson you are 100 per cent right tell me about the harvey girls she looked back toward the line well i only have a few minutes but let me see if i can summarize what it means to be a harvey girl you must be between the ages of 18 and 30 to be a waitress at a harvey house in his restaurants. You have to be unmarried and of good character. We signed a year-long contract and lived near or in the Harvey House. My supervisor was a Harvey girl with the longest tenure. We had to be pleasant. You are, why thank you, and provide efficient service. After Kansas, I traveled to the Needles and worked in El Garces while it was brand spanking new. And then in 1911 I worked at the Harvey House called Casa del Cerdo in Barstow. Very busy place. That's a very good accomplishment. Thank you. But there's one more. The Morrissey Hotel in Mojave had a Harvey House too. In an old two-story railroad depot, complete with Harvey girls, all of us wore a black dress, definitely no more than eight inches above the floor, and a starched white apron, black opaque stockings, and black shoes now you have a teal skirt that i do she placed her upper teeth on her lower lip as she tilted back her head will you be coming back over to the jawbone mr mckenna i believe i will miss wilson her eyes lit up oh good it was nice talking with you mckenna stood up and shook her hand we'll talk again when i come to visit my friend steuben i would like that she smiled and headed back up front McKenna watched her before he turned at the table. He found her quite remarkable. Over the next five days, McKenna and Aubrey developed the routine of meeting at the table during her break. Most of the conversation revolved around themselves, likes and dislikes, as well as politics. What he found was how much they laughed together and genuinely liked each other. McKenna stood as she went back to work behind the front table. To his right, a man about his size, with a wide-brimmed white hat and prodigious black mustache, waxed at the ends, walked up to him. His voice was clear and his words were sharp. His Adam's apple bobbed up and down when he spoke. I'm J.T. Williams, he said, extending his hand. Mark McKenna, replied McKenna, grasping his callous hand around J.T.'s smooth hand. Mr. McKenna, I'm the lead detective on this project wanted to let you know that there's a troublemaker named Beth Daniels up north who mentioned your name. McKenna's stomach turned. I know, Beth. I used to go out with Beth a long time ago, Mr. Williams. JT. Well, she's threatening to do damage to our project, dynamite. Why? asked McKenna. I thought you might enlighten me on that subject. I haven't seen her since 1904, JT. She ever mentioned blowing anything up? McKenna shook his head. No, sir, there wasn't any project back in 1904. Where are you from, Mr. McKenna? Los Angeles and Ohio. I worked in the silver mines up in Nevada. Keep a sharp eye out for Daniels. My office is out at the hospital at Cinco along the rail line. We'll have some whiskey at the 18-mile house. I have men who are my eyes and ears. I'll pay you if you find out information for me. I'd be glad to do that. We worked too hard for this aqueduct to be attacked. I agree. You seeing you around, said J.T., shaking his hand again, and he left the mess hall. McKenna looked over at Aubrey, scooping out the potatoes. She waved with her other hand. McKenna was concerned that Beth was up north and making threats. Meeting J.T. could be beneficial in tracking down Nico and the others. With actual detectives on a manhunt, maybe Nico could be stopped. Aubrey Jane I'll leave it at that for now. As for Beth Daniels, she's broken away and is now threatening the aqueduct. No sign of Nico and McKenna believes that his transmission has come from the future. Aubrey Jane. Aubrey Jane. I'm Robert P. Fitton in line to get a meal at the mess hall as a part of that stupendous project called the California Aqueduct. An extra scoop of potatoes, please.